Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing, City Church? I, as Blake said, my name is Pete Bulette, and it's my joy to bring the message of God's word to us this morning. Um, a little bit about myself, for the last 21 years, I've been, my wife and I have uh, been working with Kyle Christian Fellowship at the University of Virginia. We planted it 21 years ago, and uh, so that Blake, who just made the announcement, was one point our worship leader. Allie, who prayed, was one point a small group leader for us, and Felissa, who sang, was one point a student with us, and so anyways, it's been a joy. And by the way, tomorrow is my 24th anniversary, so that's, there's that, yeah, and, uh, and that hand goes to my wife, <laughs> we all know that's true. Um, but it, this has been my church home since we've been in town and uh, been a joy to be a part of City Church and my joy to bring God's word to us this morning. As you saw, we're starting a series today uh, in the book of Isaiah and I get to kick off that series um, as we're walking through the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a topic that comes up often in the book of Isaiah. In fact, almost at every turn, it's like Isaiah is pointing to the coming kingdom and anticipation of the coming kingdom that is 700 years before Jesus. And so we're going to be spending some weeks looking at those expectations and those anticipations. Um, but first, let me share a story. About eight years ago, I had the joy of going to a conference in Arizona, and as I saw that we we're going to a conference in Arizona, I thought, this is my opportunity. Okay, I grew up in southern Illinois, and uh, I'd heard stories about when my mom was a kid, her family went to the Grand Canyon, and I'm like, I want to see the Grand Canyon someday. I grew up hearing about the Grand Canyon. I'm like, we're going to the Grand Canyon, right? And so we rented a van, and we went up uh, to Flagstaff, spent the night so we could get up early in the morning and go over to the Grand Canyon National Park. And so we got there early, and as we're showing up, other people are showing up, and they're going to the visitor center, and other people are heading to the rim. And I'm like, I'm not going, I'm going to the rim, baby. So I go to the rim. I've been waiting for this for years, and I get up to the rim, and what I see, I could never imagine. In fact, I was in disbelief by what I saw. I was so much in disbelief by what I saw, I started laughing hysterically. I was doubled over laughing out loud. I just could not believe what I saw. In fact, I said to Amy, can you believe this? I mean, what are they? This is, you know what I saw? Fog. It was full of fog. Oh, but hey, there are still people taking selfies of that fog, you know. Nothing like Grand Canyon fog, you know what I'm talking about? So I, I was like, we have one day, and the day we come, it's full of fog. Well, good news, the fog burned off over the course of the day, and we beheld glory. And I, I think in some ways, that's a bit of a metaphor for life at times, is that we, we have fog that keeps us from seeing th things clearly, I mean, maybe it's the, the fog of professional pressures or family pressures. Maybe it's the, the fog of, of circumstances. It could be the fog of suffering or the fog of disappointments. It could be the, the fog of distraction. 
But we just don't see things clearly. And when that fog comes, we tend to move towards anxiety, worry, and despair. I don't know if you're, like, that's just kind of what happens. And so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to see a, a we're going to look at a passage of scripture in Isaiah where th- this picture is to like clear the fog so we can see clearly. And as we do, we're going to behold the king that changes everything. And so we're going to be in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to turn there, but I'm not going to go there for a moment because I need to set the table for just a second. Let me tell you what's going on in the book of Isaiah and in the day of Isaiah. There are really two tensions that are being dealt with. The first tension is this, the tension of the sinfulness of Israel. The first five chapters are full of the sinfulness of Israel. In chapter five, there's kind of a list of what I would call like the web gems of the sinfulness of Israel. I mean, it's like this list of like, whoa, these are the highlights of their sinfulness. And and so I I put them up here for you. First, they're greedy. Um, So so there's that. And then they're self-indulgent. I mean, it it describes like they're living the party life and, and just being totally self-indulgent. And if that's not enough, they're also arrogant and proud about it. And if that's not enough, they're morally bankrupt. I mean, it says they're calling good evil and evil good. They're calling uh, light darkness and darkness light. They're calling sweet things bitter and bitter things sweet. They're morally bankrupt. And if that's not enough, social injustice has started to take hold in, in the people of Israel. And beyond that, they're doing pretty well. But in the midst of these first five chapters, there's these moments where there's these prophetic words that God wants to purify Israel and that he's going to use them to change the world. And so the question comes up is this, how in the world can God take these corrupt, rebellious, and defiled people and restore them to who he intended them to be? That's the question that everybody's trying to figure out in the midst of this. So that's the tension on one side is the sinfulness of Israel. The tension on the other side is the fact that their king just died. King Uzziah just died. And so they're, they're in this place, I, I just call it, uh, you can go ahead and go to the next slide, the, 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 the chaos and uncertainty of the future. They're living in a time of chaos and uncertainty. And so they have that tension. And so what, what defines that tension? Well, King Uzziah has been their king for 52 years in Judah. And under his leadership, it's gone pretty well. I mean, he's been a good king. They've had great peace and prosperity during that time. So they've had political prosperity. They have a great army. They've fortified their borders. They've secured their land. They live in security, which had been elusive. They have economic prosperity. They've secured water supply. They have uh, uh, livestock that are multiplying quickly. They've had agricultural advances. And so they are living in peace and prosperity. And here's what happens when you hit seasons of peace and prosperity. Typically, prosperous times end up becoming perilous times. Because what happens? Well, King Uzziah gets proud. In fact, he died because of judgment on his pride. And guess what? The people underneath him got proud as well. And they are trusting in everything but God. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Would you just stop trusting in mere humans? And now, that king is dead. 
Now what's gonna happen, because not only is he dead, but Assyria is on the rise, and they're not just on the rise, they're on the move, and they're next door, and so there's this sense that, that the time of peace and prosperity is over, the world is changing, uncertainty has come, and it looks like an era of war is right at their doorstep, and so where do they turn? Who are they going to trust? What are they going to trust? And so you have these two tensions, the sinfulness of Israel and then the uncertainty and the chaos of the future. And in the midst of those tensions, Isaiah gets a vision. And that's what we're going to read. We're going to read the first four verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, the I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, these burning angelic creatures, each with six wings, with two wings covering their faces and two wings covering their feet, and the other two, they were flying, and they were calling to one one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And so in the midst of these tensions, the tension of, of the sinfulness of Israel, the tension of the uncertainty of the future, he, God gives Isaiah a vision. And what is it a vision of? It's a vision of, okay, your king is gone, but let me show you who the ultimate king is. And it's not the Assyrian king, and it wasn't Uzziah. It's the Lord God Almighty. He is the true king. And then we get this description of the king, that he is high and exalted. In other words, he's transcendent over it all. And even in the chaos, even in the uncertainty, he rules in the midst of it. And then it says that the train of his robe fills the temple. Okay, so scholars say that the word for train is really, it's just speaking about the latter part, the very bottom of his robe. So it's like, it could be translated the hem of his robe, right? That the very, just the hem of his robe fills the temple. It, what, what, what it's doing is speaking of the, the vastness of the Lord God Almighty. In fact, Bruce Walkie, an Old Testament scholar, said this. He said that, The train of his robe suffocates every human pretension. He is so much more vast than any human pretension. And so it's a picture of the the unmatched vastness of God. It's a picture of the unrivaled greatness of God. It's a picture uh, of the unparalleled majesty of God, if you will. And then there's these two creatures that are are flying around, and, and, and they use these two words to describe the king, the true king, the ultimate king, holy and glory, holy. You know, in Hebrew, they didn't have, like in English, we have good, better, best, like ways to intensify things, and so the way you'd intensify things is to repeat it. And so, like if something's holy, it's like, whoa. If something's holy, holy, it's like, whoa, Holy, holy, holy. That's like ultimate holiness. And then we're like, well, what is holiness? Holy means unique, but it'd be kind of awkward to sing unique, unique, unique. No, anyways. But it means like he's unique. There's no one like him. Right? And it also speaks of his perfection. 
See, here's the thing. We, we live in a world that's surrounded by imperfection. We have never beheld holy, holy, holy. I remember one time I was watching a, a commercial and it had the skyline of Los Angeles and you're like, oh, that's the skyline of Los Angeles. And then this hand came across the screen and when the hand came across the screen, it took the pollution out of the air and you're like, Oh my goodness, I had no idea that all that pollution, because you didn't see it, because that's all you knew until the pollution was taken out. You're like, oh, that's what the skyline would look like without the pollution. And that's kind of like what's happening to Isaiah. He's getting a glimpse of true holiness for the first time. I uh, kind of see this, well, let me, these burning creatures were so taken by the holiness of God that they shouted it so loudly, it caused the temple to quake. Okay, this was like, the declaration of the holy, holiness of God was, caused it to quake. And then they said, glory, right? The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's like, as they, they're like, as we look around, we just see like glorious stuff, and we're like, it's all because of him. Like, like we look over and we see the Tetons, and we're like, like, that's because of him. And then we, we, we zoom in and we fly down and we look at the molecular biology of, and, and cellular biology and we're like, look at the glory. And then we look up and we get like pictures that like we're just now getting this week from the, the, the Webb telescope. Here, here's a picture I got. This is a picture from the Webb telescope. You know what all those are? Those are galaxies. Like we are a part of the Milky Way galaxy, just like a normal run-of-the-mill galaxy. And those are all galaxies, and there's billions of galaxies that are way more impressive than the Milky Way galaxy. And the seraphim are like, yeah, just take a look. Because the more you see, the more you're going to see the glory of your king. It's like build bigger telescopes and build bigger microscopes, and what you're going to see is the glory of God. So how does Isaiah respond? Well, here's what he says in verse five. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Okay, so if a prophet comes to town and he says woe as his first word, run for cover. <laughs> it's a word of judgment. He says, judgment on me. And then he says, I'm ruined. He, he just, he sees the devastation of sin. It's like, it's like, okay, I, I don't know a lot about this, but there's like these UV lights. If you go into a dark room, you turn them on, and all of a sudden you can see all the fingerprints and all the stuff, right? It's like he's held up to the UV light of the holiness of God, and when he does, he just looks at himself, and he just sees himself covered in sin. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And you're like, why did he say that? I don't know. But I know this. I know Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's like he's saying at the core of me, I'm sinful. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. This altar where sacrifices were made, he takes a live coal. And he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And what we see is, is how 
how we're made clean. It's, it's by the initiative of the king. It's by the action of the king. And then we get this kind of interesting dialogue because Isaiah says, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you're like, who else is there but Isaiah? You know, <laughs> like in this vision. It's like, oh, I wonder who we should send. And Isaiah's like, hey, here I am, send me. And God said, go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. In other words, I want you to go tell these people, I'm sending you to them, but it's going to be really hard, like really, really hard. No one's going to listen hard. And then Isaiah later on, he's like, well, how long is that going to be, that going to be the case? He's like, oh, until devastation, until exile comes, until the land looks like it's just been mowed over and it just looks like a bunch of stumps. And then you're going to go, and, but you're going to find out there's still life in the stump, so don't despair. There's still hope because I'm still going to bring my kingdom out of the stump. And that is the picture and the, the dialogue. And then 700 years later, 700 plus years, one comes on the scene and proclaims that he's the king of the kingdom. And in fact, in, in John chapter 12, after John is, he quotes this very chapter because he is talking about why these people, when the king comes and starts declaring the kingdom has come and I'm the king of the kingdom, how they're not listening, how they're hard-hearted, how they're stubborn, he quotes this chapter and this is how he concludes the quote. Let's read it. Isaiah said this, because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Are you guys getting this? The one that Isaiah saw who was high and lifted up. The one that the angels say, holy, 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 that the whole earth is full of his glory. The one whose train fills the temple, whose vastness is unmatched, is the same one who walked in Galilee. Who's the same one that, that the woman touched the hem of that robe. And was made well. The same one who fed 5,000 people from a few loaves and fish. The same one who turned water into wine. The same one who cast out a, a legion of demons out of one demoniac man. He's the same one. When I saw that, my heart just... He's the same one. The king of Isaiah is King Jesus, the same one who went and died crucified on a Roman cross and the same one who three days later rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He's the same one. He's the king. Sorry for slapping the table. <laughs> Not in the notes. <clears throat> So how do we put feet to our faith? How can corrupt, defiled, rebellious people be made clean and restored to who they're intended to be? <laughs> well, the king's initiative, 
The king who, who came in the incarnation, who took the initiative to bring the salvation, and, and the king's action, who didn't just take a coal from the altar, but was the sacrifice on the altar. And when the king touches you, who is the sacrifice, you're made clean. Your guilt is removed. Your sins are atoned for. That's how we're made clean. And here's the thing. like Sometimes we wonder, like, but I, maybe I'm too sinful, like Israel appeared to be. And then here's what you see. You see what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Right? He says, well, look at how he treated people who, who appeared maybe they're beyond the reach of grace. The woman caught in the act of adultery or, or the tax collector. What, what did he do? He pronounced grace over them. He, he gave them power to live differently. Here's what Jesus does. He makes us who we're not, but who we're always intended to be. That's what Jesus, that's what the king does by his initiative and his action. He makes us who we're not, but who we're always intended to be. What about tension number two? Where do we place our trust in chaos and uncertainty? Well, Place our trust in the king, the one who's the ultimate king, the one that Isaiah saw, the one who walked the streets of Galilee. Doesn't chaos and uncertainty tend to describe a lot of our lives? Like our world in the macro and then in the micro, there's always a little bit of chaos and uncertainty somewhere, right? Like, I mean, anybody parenting here, you know? I mean, there's... I mean, it, it, I'm not just talking about they're not behaving. You're just like, well, what's going to happen in the future? And you carry those, the chaos and the uncertainty and the broken world. And you're like, ah, oh, and you stress stuff because things aren't certain. And, and, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat this and sanitize what the Bible doesn't sanitize. We live in a broken world. We're going to till the king comes back and rescues us. But here's what I do know, that anytime you place your trust in him, the Bible says you will never be put to shame. That it doesn't mean that all your circumstances immediately turn on a dime, but it does mean this, that ultimately you will be vindicated for putting your trust in Jesus. And I don't know when and I don't know how soon, but I know that ultimately your, your, your trust in the king of all kings, the one who sits on the ultimate throne, will be vindicated. I know that. And here's the thing, like over the years of following Jesus and leading the ministry and all these things, like I have seen the faithfulness of Jesus so many times. And yet, a little chaos and uncertainty comes and fear and anxiety grip my soul. And I say, oh Lord, forgive me. In fact, I didn't know we were going to sing this song. It was already in my notes. I think of the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, and it closes like this. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, that's my prayer. Oh, God, would you give me grace to trust you more? And the vision that Isaiah saw is for all of us to just increase our trust levels in the king. You can trust him. And then how, how do we respond? Well, we respond a lot like Isaiah with gritty obedience. <laughs> I mean, this was not the path of least resistance for Isaiah. But he couldn't unsee what he saw. 
And so the only logical response to seeing glory was obedience, right? That's the only logical, it would be totally illogical. No matter how hard it is, it was the only logical response to the glory was obedience. I've sat with many students that the path of obedience for them and their story is gritty. And the only way you can maintain gritty obedience is to have a glimpse of glory. I'm reminded of Psalm 73, where the psalmist said, I feet almost slipped. You ever felt that way? Your feet were slipping? I mean, he, he was like, I'm looking at the wicked, and they're living how just a, a life full of debauchery, and yet they're prospering. And he said, I started to envy until it says, until I stepped into the sanctuary of God, until he entered the presence of God, until he encountered glory again. And when that happened, he says this, he says, who am I, have I in heaven but you? The, the earth has nothing I desire beside you. It's like in that moment, as he got a new gaze of the king that changes everything, that his heart was reoriented, his mind was renewed, and he was like, yes, I will walk in gritty obedience. So how do we respond? We respond the same way Isaiah did in gritty obedience to the king. Gaze at the king who changes everything. The king who comes to you and to me in our corrupt, defiled, rebellious hearts and makes us who we're not, but who we're always intended to be. The king who says, in the midst of the chaos and uncertain world, keep your eyes on me, trust me, trust me. And the king who's so glorious, That gritty obedience is the only logical response. We stand. Lord, as we close, I pray the prayer that Paul prayed that you would open the eyes of our heart that we might see you, the one who is high and lifted up, full of glory, and the one who is high and lifted up on a cross, full of love. That's our king. Lord, that our hearts would swim in those waters, and as we do, that our, our revelation of the grace of the king would go up. Our trust in you as our king would go up. Oh, for grace to trust you more. And that our strength to walk in gritty obedience would go up for your glory and our good. In the name of King Jesus.